It's a real joy for me to be here and to share with you today. I want to thank you uh, for the uh, invitation to come and uh, truly is a privilege to join, to join you. I also want to thank your congregation and uh, Reverend Brown for their support of the No Joke Project. Uh, this really was a project that was organic. It really came out of the friendship that Camille and Daniel and I had begun to develop our church when uh, Rich Witch Christian Church purchased our current facility on Knoxville, the, our, our main campus. We have a couple campuses, but we, we moved there. We found out we were moving next door to the mosque, and we reached out to, um, to the mosque. Our elders, our board shared a meal with their elders uh, through several different events. We had reached out to them, expressed our uh, support during some different, different things that had taken place in the world. And, um, and then uh, about five, six years ago, uh, I met Daniel. We began to really strike up a friendship, and then Camille... And uh, what happened was a true, genuine friendship occurred between the three of us. And the beautiful thing about our friendship is that uh, each of us have our core convictions. Um, there are a number of different issues where Camille and I will be sort of like synced up on and Daniel will be you know, far uh, to the other side of where we are. And there's other issues that Camille and Daniel will be synced up on and I will be on the outside looking in. And so the beautiful thing about our friendship is that we're able to have rigorous and passionate discussion and differences but not take things personally and still be able to love each other as friends, to love our families, to share meals together, yet acknowledging that we don't have to hold the exact same beliefs. And so as a result of our friendship uh, that developed and evolved, this sort of uh, took to another level through the Peace for Peoria events, which several of you told me that you have participated in and visited. And, uh, and then the project was picked up by a gentleman named Jim Henderson in Seattle, Washington, who has written several books. He is a, a Christian author, uh, but has picked up our story. He has written a book uh, on, our, on our journey. He is also putting together a documentary that will be finalized in the next month. And, um, and then actually, I fly out Tuesday morning, uh, but I'm very blessed to be able to travel to Washington, D.C. as Camille, Daniel, I, as well as uh, Karen uh, Bogart are going to be in Washington, D.C. for several days for the National Prayer Breakfast, meeting with some other uh, leaders around the uh, country, talking about our project, and hopefully uh, able to inspire some other communities to move towards civility, grace, and love in spite of difference. And so as uh, Michael asked me to speak today and gave me the opportunity to come and talk to you, and I was wrestling with what is it that I want to share, uh, I, I immediately went to a topic that I think embodies uh, both um, the potential dark side of our differences that we can have, but also I think is an example of something that should bring us together. And so what I want to talk to you about today is a unique Christian belief, a unique doctrine as part of our Orthodox tradition that many of you are familiar with or have heard of called the Trinity. The idea that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is a distinctive Christian belief that is held by Orthodox Christians throughout centuries. It's hold, held by the Eastern Church, the Catholic Church, Protestant churches. Uh, not only is it distinctive, but it is in many cases become a litmus test to whether a person is really in or whether they are out in the Christian tradition. And so the Trinity has a great deal of history behind it, and I don't want to get into all those elements. But the idea of the Trinity is a good example, is what I'm going to share with you, about how we sometimes have beliefs that are significantly different from someone else. In some cases, those issues are core foundational beliefs to what we hold on to in our convictions. And how holding our core convictions sometimes, in this case, in Orthodox Christianity and many people that have come out of my tribe, which would be more of a, you know, um, evangelical Christianity, how we allow core beliefs to become so, so foundational to our, to our beliefs that we miss the very point behind them. 
And so just uh, stay with me for a few moments as I just talk to you about the Trinity and how I think the Christian church uh, can mess that up and has messed it up. And at the same time, how the Trinity gives me an example and is really a core issue that because of what the Lord has done in my life really gives me the love and the passion to move towards Daniel and Camille and those early years and even today gives me a heart to reach out uh, with compassion, grace, and mercy to people that are outside of my faith tradition as opposed to marginalization and judgment. So first of all, as we talk about this idea of the Trinity, most of you are familiar with it, but the idea of the Trinity that originated in Christianity, there was great discussion, division, and about the third or fourth century it became a foundational doctrine. God was often referred to as a triad in the early centuries, and a guy by the name of Tertullian in the third century began to first use the word Trinity, which does not uh, appear in the Bible. And in this, the, 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 uh, the belief was that, that there is one God, monotheism, there is one God who exists eternally in three separate persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, during the course of Christianity, there have been various views of this that Orthodox Christians would consider to be heresy, such as uh, modelism, which would be this idea that there's one deity who manifests in three different persons, subordination, and then, uh, which I was really unaware of until Michael and I had an email exchange, but tritheism, uh, which uh, Michael Servitus, which was part of the founder, as I understand, of the, or, or, of the uh, Unitarian Church, um, was uh, his belief that there were three completely separate deities or three completely separate beings led to him being persecuted uh, by the church and ultimately burned at the stake in Geneva under the hand of, uh, of John Calvin and other religious leaders. And so the church traditionally has reacted, much like they did with Michael Servetus, very, uh, very uh, not just defensively, but very violently in many cases with people who dare to disagree with the view of a triune God. But this understanding of a triune God was not just dreamed up in an ivory, ivory tower. It was not just in a coherent or philosophical theory that was carefully developed. But there are verses in the Jewish scriptures that led Christians to wrestle with this as well as the New Testament scriptures. For example, in the book of Genesis, chapter number one, the Jewish scripture says, uh, at creation, the Lord spoke and said, let us make human beings in our image. And the words there, let us, a plural pronoun, make uh, man or human beings in our image or likeness, the second word there is singular. So we find that even the book of Genesis, this idea of a monotheistic God uses a pr pronoun, plural, let us make human beings in our image. In the book of Deuteronomy, what is known as the Shema, a foundational prayer for Jews that is still prayed and valued today. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. In that verse, in the book of Deuteronomy, the words, the word Lord there, uh, what we would probably translate a more common one would be Yahweh, a word you're familiar with. The word there is once again a plural word, or singular. The Lord, singular, our God, plural, Elohim, plural is one. And so you find this very unique verse in the Jewish scriptures, the Lord singular, our God, plural, is one. And so out of this idea, we also find encounters where, for example, a young lady by the name of Hagar uh, encountered an angel of the Lord, and then she came back and said, I have seen God. And so with these verses, What's happened is that, that many Christians began to see the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which are key elements in the, in the New Testament scriptures, and we began to wrestle with this idea of what does this teach us? 
And with the foundation of some of these verses in the Jewish scriptures, Christians began to teach this idea of, uh, or begin to teach these verses that later became interpreted into a doctrine we call the Trinity. For example, we find at the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is baptized and he goes under the water and he comes up out of the water. And the Bible says, a spirit descended like a dove upon him and an audible voice from heaven spoke and said, this is my son whom I love and in whom I'm well pleased. So at the baptism of Jesus, both the spirit manifests himself, an audible voice from heaven rings out and Jesus is physically present three there in one moment. The great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples after his resurrection is recorded by the Gospel of Matthew says, go baptize making disciples in the name singular of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the singular name and yet three, yet one. Now there are multiple other verses that I could share with you but I think most of you understand the point. These verses have led Orthodox Christians to come to this doctrinal belief, this in many cases very irrational and crazy belief in the, in the Trinity to be a core foundational belief. And anyone who steps outside of this Trinitarian view of God has been ostracized and marginalized and pushed away, and in some cases even persecuted or martyred for their belief. And unfortunately, my experience as a Christian, I was raised in a Lutheran church as a child and went to church, uh, went to confirmation classes, but never really had any kind of a personal faith or truly personal belief in God, even though I had passed the test and gone through all the steps that I was supposed to go through. About 21 years of age, I had uh, what I would call a conversion experience, uh, what, what would refer to the New Testament as being born again. I had an encounter uh, with God that gave me uh, a fresh experience. My eyes, I felt, were opened. I felt that I had a new heart, a new life. I immediately felt called into ministry. And as a young Christian, uh, I began to read, I began to research, and obviously I began to embrace this idea of a Trinitarian view of God. But for all of my years, listen to me, for all of my years of reading and study and research, all the sermons that I had heard, going to Bible college, graduating from a liberal arts Christian college, being the first Protestant to graduate in theology and religious studies from a Catholic university, the school that I went to, getting my master's degree uh, at, a, uh, at an independent conservative Christian uh, university, and all of my studies, whenever the subject of the Trinity came up, it was always communicated in this idea of a doctrine or a dogma to be believed in and held to if I was going to be a Christian or a Christian leader that I was supposed to believe this and I was supposed to share this with other people. But unfortunately, the practical application of the Trinity was never taught to me. And a little over a decade ago, I went on a spiritual retreat with a mentor of mine and a few other people in Colorado. And at that retreat, uh, I had this just you know, fresh encounter of just seeking a time of, of prayer and meditation and seeking God. And I also on that retreat was able to get exposed to, to some teachings about the Trinity that I had never ever heard about or been exposed to. And these teachings on the Trinity were not so much about the dogma, the, the doctrinal belief of the Trinity, but really the practical application of the Trinity. What does the Trinity really tell us about the nature and the being of God? And as I began to immerse myself over a couple of years, reading a number of books and articles by some church fathers, as well as some more modern authors that are a little bit off the beaten path, but yet would still be considered Orthodox Christian belief, both Catholic and Protestant. 
I came to understand a couple of core convictions about the Trinity, that this is not just some wacky belief that I had to believe as a Christian, all right, but there really was something behind it that told me about the nature of God, and by understanding the nature of God as a Christian, it provided impetus and motivation for me to live out my faith in a whole, a whole different way, in a fresh way. Two just very quick applications. One is I began to reflect upon the, 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 the Christian traditional teaching of the Trinity. It reminded me that God is by his very nature mysterious, that there is mystery behind God, that no one, no Catholic, no Protestant, no liberal Christian, uh, no one is able to really be able to fully understand and to know God in his totality. My friends, unfortunately, sometimes uh, we go all the way back in the Jewish scriptures, the story of Adam and Eve, the Tower of Babel, even the New Testament, we see stories where men and women, we want to know God. We want to be able to figure God out. We want to be able to understand God cognitively. We want to be like God. And when you think about the idea of a trinity, it is an intellectual embarrassment in many ways because it is, it is illogical. It is hard to, to fully understand all right, it is, it is something that you cannot empirically prove or can be conclusively illustrated. I mean, I've been given all the illustrations of an egg or the sunshine. You know, there's, there's light, there's heat, there's ultraviolet rays, there's, you know, the Trinity is like water. It can manifest itself in mist, ice, or liquid, etc. One substance that manifests itself different ways. But in the midst of all of these things, even though we can try to illustrate, the reality is the Trinity doesn't make much sense. How can God be one and yet three? But it reminds me of a guy, a, a, a classic physicist in the 20th century, a gentleman by the name of Niles Bohr. Niles Bohr, as he began to pour himself into quantum physics and began to pour himself and, and eventually won a Nobel Peace Prize, um, he said that studying science, and especially as you dive into, this is really not really my realm of specialty, but Norris, um, Niles Bohr said that when you pour into quantum physics and you begin to get smaller and smaller and smaller, and now we have, we have these physicists that are getting into into subatomic particles, all right? And they're getting into quirks and they're getting into split atoms and, and things are getting smaller and smaller and strings and all these different very complex things. But the smaller and smaller that they get in science and the more and more they, they know, the more they find, the less they know. The more they dig, the more mystery they find. And that's why Niles Bohr said this, we are more poets than scientists. This incredibly genius, brilliant man understand that as he poured himself in to an intellectual pursuit of truth and knowledge and poured himself into science and the deeper that he got into atoms and the more he got into quirks and all of these details about the, the complexity, the building blocks of matter and even human beings, the deeper he got in, he said, and I quote, we are more poets than scientists because there is art there, there is beauty there, there is mystery there. And if we go not just by looking at the small, but let's look the other way. Let's think about the Hubble telescope. Let's think about the farther that we go in the universe, the more we look out into the grandeur, the mystery of this universe, the farther we go, we see the universe is significantly greater and grander than we ever, ever imagined. The further we go, the more that we know. You know what we find? More and more mystery. Whether it's physics, whether it's cosm uh, uh, you know, cosmologists, it doesn't matter. The smaller we go, the more detailed we go, the bigger we go, the grander we go, what we find is mystery. And I believe the Trinity reinforces that, 
rather than trying to try to perfect our knowledge and understanding, to think that we have a corner on the truth, that somehow we have God in a box and we know him, I believe the Trinity teaches me as a Christian. Something that many of my Christian friends and my fellow brothers and sisters, even in ministry, miss, is that the Trinity reminds us that God by his very nature is mystery. And second of all, the Trinity teaches us that at the very core of the deity, that God is relational. The Trinity tells us that there is three and yet one. In his book, Experience in the Trinity, Daryl Johnson says, at the center of the universe, listen to this quote, at the center of the universe is a relationship. The Trinity teaches us that by the very nature, God is in relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit integrated together in a sense of intimacy and beauty and, 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 and relationship unlike any of us have ever experienced. Why, when the Bible says God created us in our image, why are we relational beings? Why do we strive for community? Why do we long to be loved? Why do we have compassion that rises up inside of us? Why are we wild that, that, wired that way? I believe the Trinity teaches me as a Christian, it's because that's the nature of God. God doesn't just say to me as a Christian, you're to love your neighbor, you're to love your enemy. You see, too often Christians hear those commandments and the reason we don't practice them, people in my faith tradition, because let's just be honest, those of you in this room, when you think about Christians, when you think about evangelical conservative Christians, which is sort of the brand of Christianity I'm in, you do not think of love, grace, and mercy. We think of judgment and condemnation. We think of arrogance. We think of marginalization. Because many Christians, rather than embracing the understanding of God, we tend to rationalize and water down the fundamental tenets of what Jesus taught us, which is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves about self-sacrifice, about service, all right? We water down parables where Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan, about helping a foreigner instead of marginalizing them and kicking them out. We're called to love them and try to help and heal them. Many of my evangelical brothers and sisters, they miss that because I believe when they think about the very nature of God, those are simply commandments that they read, but they water them down. And for me, I had a significant heart change when I began to understand those commandments that God is giving me are grounded in the very nature of God himself. When God tells me to love and to self-sacrifice and to die to myself, he is not just telling me to do something from heaven on high, but he is telling me to do something that is represented in the very essence of his being. In the seventh century, there was a theologian by the name of John of Damascus. And John of Damascus used a term, a Greek term, to describe the Trinity. And the word was called perichoresis. Perichoresis. And perichoresis is made up of two Greek words. The word peri, which means around or a circle. And the other word, choresis, which means to dance or to move together. It's the origin, the or origination of the English word that we have for choreograph comes from choresis. You choreograph, or you have a chorus, you come together as a group, right? Perichoresis, John of Damascus said, describes the Trinity, the idea that God is in a dance together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are together as one in intimacy and closeness, and they move together. 
And when we read the scriptures, we see that they are in a self-giving relationship, rooted in humility and servanthood and mutual submission, honor, respect, delighting. There's not competitiveness. Jesus is not saying, you know what, Holy Spirit, I'm greater than you because I went to the cross. And the Holy Spirit saying, well, I'm not greater than you because I'm greater than you because I've been around 2,000 years. You were only here on earth for, earth for 33 years. You know, they're not drawing attention to themselves in the scriptures, but they're always honoring the other. There is no demanding and no bickering and no competition. There's no keeping score. No, there's no who's bigger and badder. There's no who gets more credit. But we read things instead where Jesus said, the one coming after I is greater than me. Jesus deflects glory from himself and deflects it to the spirit. Jesus says, the father is greater than I am. Jesus submits himself and he honors the father and he honors the son. The spirit gives glory to the father and the spirit says, you know what? The Bible says, uh, lift me up and I will draw all people unto myself. The Spirit deflects glory and says Jesus is, is greater. The Father exalts the Son, giving him the name above every name. You see, in the Trinity, we see when you look at the Scriptures closely, it is this self-giving relationship working together. And each member of the Trinity is about lifting up the other, mem other member of the Trinity. It is active, it is fluid, it is cooperative, and I love Damas John of Damascus language. It is a perichoresis. It is a dance of beauty and intimacy and closeness. And when God tells me as a Christian that I am called to love my neighbor, he is telling me something that is the core of who God himself is, is manifested in the scriptures. But my friends, if I don't understand the nature of a triune God, if I don't understand the practical realities of that, then what happens is, Doctrines like the Trinity become something for me to differentiate myself from other people. It gives me something to think that I know something that you don't know, that I'm better than you are, that I'm right and you're wrong. And rather than living out the practical implications, I become divisive. I've been marginalized and I push away. My personal encounter with the Trinity and my deeper understanding of what this told me about the nature of the God that I believe in and the God that I serve, it provided impetus for me several years ago to begin to move towards people that were different than I with a genuine love and compassion. I was moving for, towards them not because I ought to, not because I should do it, not because I have one verse saying, well, the only thing that counts, it says in the book of Galatians, is, is, is faith expressing itself in love. Yes, those verses are there. But those verses took on a whole new meaning for me when I began to read them through the light of a triune God that by his very nature and my understanding and my, my Christian tradition, that I have a God that is in relationship, in this intimate, self-giving relationship that is about true love and intimacy, not just with those that are in, but even those that are on the outside. C.S. Lewis one time said this, if Christianity was something that we were making up, of course, we would make it a lot easier. But it is not, he said. We cannot compete with simplicity. And there is no doctrine that I think presents more lack of simplicity, more doctrine that questions the rationality of a Christian believer than the Trinity. And that is from people that are on the outside and on the inside. I think there is no doctrine that is perhaps more misunderstood in its practical implication of what it means for life. There is perhaps no doctrine where, as Christians, people in my tribe are missing the forest because of the trees. We latch a hold of a dogma, a belief, and we don't think about what that belief really teaches us about God. And because of that, unfortunately, we are a poor representative of the love, the grace, and the beauty of God.
but I believe he has come for us to not just proclaim the good news, but to live the good news. And part of living the good news is that our life becomes a reflection of the triune God, which is self-sacrificing and loving and serving and caring. And it's not just about me, it's about the other. And I hope in some small way that my testimony and my life and my service and my words will be an example, a message of hope to my Muslim friends and to my Jewish friends and to my atheist friends and to my friends that are struggling with doubt and fear and to my friends who think that they have it all figured out. I hope that in some small way that, God will, uh, that God's will will be done on earth as in heaven, that we will begin to love one another and serve one another, that we will begin to stand up for issues of injustice and we will do so with compassion and with passion but we will not succumb to violence to fight violence, but we will stand up in the face and we will listen to the other and we will try to love and we will try to serve. And in some way, I pray that our world will be a better place and that the God that I believe in will be glorified. Thank you very, very much for having me come today. God bless you.